Thanks, Amy. Um, so, as Amy said, I'm based over in the primary care department here. And this afternoon, I literally just want to give you a very whistle-stop tour of brief interventions for adult weight loss in, in primary care. And as I said to Amy, I'm literally going to kind of just give a very brief oversight of a few topics just to cover the main aspects within maybe half an hour, 40 minutes. But then if you want to go back and ask any specific questions, we've got that opportunity to do so. So hopefully by the end of the talk, I would have informed you why we need to look at obesity and specifically within the primary care context. Looked a little bit about what the current situation is and what role brief interventions might have within primary care, what we know about their effectiveness and whether there's any barriers or incentives to actually implementing them, and then what the implications are for their potential use and whether there's any future research needs. So I'm sure you're all aware of the substantial risks that obesity has, not just to us in terms of our financial crisis, but in terms of health, um, both in the UK and, and globally. So for example, obese people are 20 times more likely than a normal weight person uh, to have type 2 diabetes, for example. Or 85% of our people with hypertension in the UK are also categorised as overweight or above. So crucially, we've got a, a massive public health crisis that we need to do something about. Now, one of the key questions a lot that GPs certainly ask when we're out about in practice is, how much weight do I need to get a patient to lose? Bear in mind that some patients can have a BMI of 50. Turning around and trying to get them to a normal weight is a pretty substantial thought process, which we don't need to do. So there's a substantial amount of evidence now to suggest that just a 5 to 10% reduction in someone's original body weight can actually have clinically significant health benefits in quite an array of health conditions. And I think a really um, key area which has certainly had a lot of focus here is, is within diabetes. And uh, there's certainly a lot of evidence to show now that initial weight loss, regardless of weight regain after that, can actually have uh, beneficial effects uh, in, the, in the progression of diabetes for up to 10 years later. So the message that we're saying to GPs is any weight loss is better than none. And certainly now there is the evidence to show that on a longer term basis. So let me set the context here specifically for primary care. Okay? We've got a, a GP in England, for example, who's got an average patient list of 2,000 adults. Okay? 520 of those patients, based on national, uh, national averages, will be obese. We then have around 840 men who are going to be overweight, and around 640 women who are overweight. On top of that, you're going to have a substantial amount of patients who are continuously gaining weight and could potentially still be entering either of these categories and at subsequent risk. On top of that, we've got to think that around 80% of the population visit their GP on an annual basis. And within that year, they could visit the, the GP around five and a half times. So kind of taking that together, what we've got here is a really unique opportunity. A, saying we've got a lot of people here that need treatment. And B, that actually we've got a great opportunity on a frequent basis to be able to intervene and do something about it. Sorry. 
How many more times likely is somebody who is obese to go to the GP? Is it going to be 10 times a year or? I think, I don't have data on that, I suppose, bearing in mind that people generally with, who are obese have an array of comorbidities, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, etc. They're probably more likely to have more visits because they've got a multiple array of conditions. To so they're, but they're more visible to the GP? You would suspect, given, like you say, you, you would expect them to have more. But actually, I don't have, I'm not aware of data specifically on that. So taking that into account, preventive medicine is a normal part of a GP's treatment practice. So for example, hypertension screening, and specifically with smoking, GPs are expected to screen for and identify smokers or people with high blood pressure or problem drinkers. Um, deliver some form of intervention to them and monitor the progression and their health condition. That's standard routine practice. So it does seem plausible that GPs would be able to do this for weight management as well. Unfortunately, this is not the case. There's a substantial amount of evidence now which demonstrates how very few times a GP will ever enter the conversation of weight management with their patients, let alone, let alone then go on and actually do something about it with them. And I think the key thing here is to identify why this is the case, given that they do do it for other health conditions. And it's due to this perception that there are other practical barriers, basically, to them doing it. Lack of time. That does apply across the board. Don't know if you're aware, but a typical GP consultation is 10 minutes per patient. Okay, so to address a topic of obesity, which I don't know if you've ever seen the full site mapping of obesity, which is basically a multiple issue uh, of, of factors to take into account, to try and address something of that uh, intensity in 10 minutes is probably quite daunting. And hence the second point here, a lack of confidence to do so, but actually a lack of knowledge of how to best intervene. We know for smoking, for example, there's a stop service, um, referral scheme in place which is evidence-based, we know it's an effective treatment. Actually for weight management, do we know what the right treatment is yet? To come on to that. Secondly, or thirdly, sorry, is negative attitudes about obesity. A lot of GPs still have the attitude, well, the person ate too much and they did too little, it's their fault, they got themselves into it, they can get themselves out of it. On the flip side of that, they do appreciate that it's a pretty sensitive topic, um, especially if they're not obese themselves. How do we have that conversation with someone without upsetting them and then they're having a negative rapport with the person who's supposed to take care of them? And kind of linking with this negative attitude, they believe that actually it's a societal problem rather than something to deal with in primary care. Now linking with that, a lot of the effectiveness uh, research that's, that's taken place to demonstrate weight loss programs has actually been conducted in very highly specific research settings. So you've got a research team very intensely caring after that patient, delivering very multi-component interventions, uh, which is high level of contact time, but also incredibly expensive. The reality of being able to translate that weight loss program into routine primary care actually has been questionable, which again links in with that question of what do I treat my patient with? And that question there leads on to the introduction of brief interventions. So in other areas of health promotion, 
reef interventions have now been introduced as a way to counteract some of those barriers, and specifically this issue of time. And it literally is what it says on the tin. Um, common elements, regardless of what the health condition is, uh, is that it takes a few minutes to deliver. So there's now evidence uh, for interventions as short as 30 seconds, up to around 10 minutes that have been shown to be effective. They are generally opportunistic in nature, and this is actually quite an, an important um, point to be raised. And just to clarify what that means, is it someone going to the GP, for example, about their broken toe or a cold? The GP addresses that issue. But at the end of that appointment, the GP uses that, oh, whilst you're here moment, can I just check with blood pressure? Can I just talk to you about your smoking, your alcohol, etc.? So the GP, uh, sorry, the patient has gone to the GP for a reason other than this problematic health behaviour. Um, a really good positive is that they can be given by a variety of healthcare professionals, so it's not necessarily needing a specialist within that health behaviour. Um, and typically they would involve, for example, information or basic advice about your condition. Um, they would encourage the patient to consider the positives and the negatives of what's currently going on. And ideally, give some form of support to the patient to then be able to go on and change that behaviour. So where do brief interventions come from? Two main sources of research are one which is problem drinking and the other which is smoking cessation. And I'm just going to briefly present you now uh, three key studies which have really been the foundation of, kind of current practice for those two behaviours in primary care. So, First was a Cochrane review uh, looking at the effectiveness of brief alcohol interventions in primary care. And the brief intervention here literally was advice to the patient that there was negative health consequences for excess alcohol consumption versus usual care or no advice at all. Um, and basically what this systematic review found of over 7,000 patients was that 12 months later after being given this brief advice, um, patients had significantly reduced their weekly alcohol consumption by around four to five units per week. So on the crux of that, brief advice to stop drinking because it's negative for your health had significant improvement to their alcohol consumption 12 months later. Similarly for smoking, uh, there was another Cochrane review recently which looked at a similar principle, so again physician advice about health consequences of smoking, <clears throat> but like I say, it's time for smoking, and again, a similar conclusion that the provision of brief advice versus a control um, was, was significantly um, uh, improved, the rate of quitting. And someone here, for example, 12 months later, uh, had successfully quit and also remained a non-smoker at that time point. And building upon that systematic review, colleagues um, collectively together also looked at not only the effect of brief advice, i.e. GP saying smoking's bad for you, you should stop, but they also looked at the offer of assistance. So, for example, in this case, uh, a GP would simply say, do you know that one way to stop smoking is to attend these national stop smoking scheme or the prescription of relevant medication and I can refer you now. That's a simple offer of assistance which was made in less than one minute. So if they looked at that compared to the control, 
And it's basically both of the interventions have significant impact upon smoking compared to the control. But interestingly, when physicians uh, advised or offered assistance, it had uh, a greater effect than just providing advice. So to summarize those three key pieces of work, what they're demonstrating is that genuinely brief, so in each of those, um, the interventions were around one minute and either one to four sessions maximum. Genuinely brief opportunistic interventions can motivate patients who go to the GP for reasons unrelated to that initial behaviour, can reduce either alcohol consumption or stop smoking. And like I say, the real major implication of that is that now within routine uh, primary care practice, um, grief interventions are the course of treatment um, for both problem drinking and smoking cessation. And it's now being implemented as part of the GP paid for performance scheme. So basically it's part of what they call the COP. So it is a regulation that your GP will ask to identify and screen for smoking, treat and then offer some form of support for that. Fundamentally, because brief interventions here are seen as brief but motivational instruments to help that person make a change in their behaviour. <coughs> and critically, they maximise the effectiveness of the treatment whilst limiting the time uh, within the consultation. Minimal GP training and specialist skills are actually required and positively they don't appear to offend the patient. So they're motivating both the GP to intervene but also the patient to do something about it. So the key question here then is in terms of weight management, what do we know and can grief interventions be effective uh, for this? So we asked two key questions in a recent review actually. First of all, what can be done for patients who go to their GP seeking support to lose weight? bearing in mind that the consultation is 10 minutes. And secondly, similar to the stop smoking, where there's this opportunistic um, kind of intervention of identifying and screening, is there the equivalent evidence to justify that for weight management? So reviewing kind of current practices, literature from GPs, uh, and the various evidence available, we identified uh, four purely behavioral-based equivalent behavioural interventions. Um, I've excluded medication here mainly because of time, but that's, that was another as well. But like I say, here's just uh, some behavioural based interventions, which I'm now going to give you an, an overview of. So the first one we've got is brief advice. So very, very similar to what I said for the physicians when they talk about smoking. Literally, a GP could maybe just say to their, their patient, by the way, it's pretty detrimental to your health to be overweight, you might want to think about losing some. Simple as that. Um, generally, they would say it on a one-off occasion, um, mainly because that it saves them time to do anything else. Interestingly enough, um, there's been two uh, observational studies looking at the kind of association between that and weight loss attempts, uh, both incidentally conducted in the USA. But the first one here, in just under 13,000 uh, patients, found that first of all, 42% of uh, participants reported that their physician had advised them to lose weight within the previous 12 months. Now that actually is quite a good figure compared to some of the UK data. But incidentally, for those people who were advised, 
um, they were just under three times more likely than someone who wasn't advised to use weight to then attempt to do something about it. So indicating a positive effect. Uh, I can't say effect, it's observation, but uh, a positive um, you know, link between the two. Similarly, again, another uh, recent review of the literature, um, again, of survey data in the, in the US, very similar, looking at weight loss counselling by the physician uh, and the changes in their patient behaviour. This time, a pretty decent sample of just over 200,000 adults. And as we would uh, saw in the last one, this time we have a, an odds ratio of just under four of uh, the, the significant impact of the weight loss device on their attempts to at least do something about it. So just to explain for those of you who might not be sure, odds ratio, sorry, is for example here, the group who received um, the weight loss device would be 3.85 times more likely than someone who didn't to at least try and do something about uh, their, their weight. Okay. So collectively, what, what can we take from this? So actually, it's really positive, and it does suggest that um, a GP advising their patient to lose weight could have a positive effect on their attempt to lose weight. Um, and it could suggest that screening and opportunistic intervention might be effective. The problem is the data are observational and predominantly based in the UK, uh, USA. Uh, we couldn't find any randomized controlled trials exploring this issue. And certainly this relates just to weight loss attempts, doesn't actually necessarily go on to, to talk about weight loss itself. And there is considerable variation in the advice given. Um, some of it could have been as blase as I just said, whereas others could have been highly specific. It may have contained personalised um, impacts of, of, for example, obesity upon that particular person's health. So there's a, there's a mass range. So on that basis, we couldn't recommend brief advice in this context to be a routine course of treatment. So the second uh, type of, of brief intervention we came across was motivational interviewing. Um, generally, this is considered to be quite a nice approach um, because it involves the G, uh, patient taking control of, of what they're doing. And it typically con contains three key elements, which is firstly, it's a collaboration between the patient and the GP. Uh, a key problem when you talk to obese patients or overweight patients is they hate their GP telling them what to do. I mean, the nice things about motivational interviewing is actually it's bringing the patient on board to, to start getting them to take that ownership. So it's seen as a partnership. And then you start drawing out the patient's thoughts and behaviour change and inevitably then turning that into the patient and encouraging with them their autonomy. To be able to deliver this though, because it's quite a, uh, a particular course of treatment that you would work with the patient, it does require uh, specialist skills and uh, quite an intense training, which is typically only two days, but it does require ongoing support, regular follow-up, and actually, if it's a topic the GP doesn't really know much about in the first place, it's going to require a longer time. For you and I, two days probably doesn't sound much, but actually trying to get a GP out of practice for two days to do training about a health topic which they might not be interested in in the first place is actually quite difficult. But taking that into account, we found two uh, high-quality systematic reviews uh, which have positive uh, influences of motivational in interviewing 
in weight loss uh, and weight management. And both of them uh, really reported the same, that in patients who had received course of motivational interviewing versus a control, which is typically just usual care, um, did have a higher amount of weight loss. So here, it was around two kilos um, and up to 12 months. Interestingly, what this systematic review found was that to be able to get a significant impact, sessions did need to be at least 15 minutes long, and probably more sessions were of, of, of greater benefit. And in our second systematic review, also found a mean reduction in weight for patients who had received motivational interviewing of around 1.5 compared to those who don't. So actually, two really positive um, reports on motivational interviewing. So we can say that it's an effective way of, ideally, um, of achieving weight loss. However, if we think that we need a minimum of 15 minutes and potentially multiple sessions, it also requires GPs to undergo specialist training, take time out to practice, and deliver this on all of those patients which are identified initially. It potentially is quite an implausible population level approach for weight management. I'm not saying they can't be implemented in special cases, but on a general level, again, it really can be recommended. So next we come to the third, which is primary care-led, so in-house weight management services. <coughs> Excuse me. So this is typically whereby a patient is referred by their GP to an in-house practitioner on a one-to-one -one basis to receive weight management um, information and guidance. Um, the practitioner is typically a nurse or a healthcare facilitator, which is now quite common in, in practices, and they would have received basic weight management training. A slight inconvenience is that because it's done in-house, the patient is going to have to fit around GP scheduling. So it's typically daytime sessions during the week rather than evenings and weekends. So the NHS for around an average 12-week uh, programme, this costs about £100 per patient. But the really key thing here is it takes a small amount of time for the GP to make that referral to a practitioner who then deals with the treatment of that patient. So how effective is the approach? So I'm going to talk about three kind of key studies uh, that have looked at this. So the first one is the counterweight programme. Um, counterweight is actually now uh, an implemented program, uh, particularly in the north, um, and basically they've conducted an evaluation of their program. Uh, just to point out, it isn't an RCT, so it's just observation of that data. But there's 1,900 overweight and obese patients. Um, fundamentally, counterweight is a one-to-one -one specialised weight management program. Uh, which is delivered by practice nurses who've received specific counterweight rather than just generic weight management training. And uh, generally they receive um, nine sessions plus their initial screening within a 12 month period. And they have got the option here of whether it's individual appointments, which last around 10 to 30 minutes each, or group sessions, which are about an hour long. And what did we find? If we just look at 12-month data, ultimately we need to be thinking long-term rather than just short-term. Bearing in mind this is completer-only data. 
Okay, so what that means is it's only people who are at 12 months completed the program. So they haven't included people who have initially took place. And bear in mind, there might be some bias there because ultimately the people who complete it are generally the people who do lose more weight than the people who drop out. Okay? But at 12 months, they lose just under three kilos. But converted into what we call a baseline observation carry forward, um, so that is then taking into account those observations, there was about a mean weight loss of 1.3 kilograms, which seems okay, but obviously we haven't got a control group to be able to compare that with. So we have the Camwell study, which is uh, an RCT, again, of a one-to-one primary care-led service. Not the counterweight program, but very similar ideals, dealt with on a one-to-one basis by a nurse, um, oh, sorry, and advisors. Slight difference here that they have 30-minute sessions every two weeks, and then the times trail off. But ultimately, they have 14 visits during 12 months. Um, or they uh, randomise people also to just use repair. And at 12 months, what we can see here is although the special care group who received the slightly more intensive program had slightly higher uh, mean weight loss at 12 months, there was no significant difference between the groups. But I should point out, it did result in a higher amount of people who had a great, um, uh, uh, sorry, a higher number of people who achieved at least 5% weight loss. So it's, you know, it still is beneficial. We then come on to the Lighten Up trial, which um, actually that's how I got into primary care, because that's the drafting one. So um, Lighten Up was um, reassessed a, a kind of range of effectiveness of weight management programs in primary care. Um, we randomised 740 obese or overweight patients to one of seven interventions or a control. The control being that patients were basically given free access to a leisure centre for 12 months. Um, for this particular section of the talk, I'm just going to focus on the GP data because we're just looking at the primary care-led equivalents, okay? And what we found, again, using baseline observation carried forward, is actually the GP assistance, which was exactly the same, one-to-one -one with a practice nurse, when you could get to session, just talking about weight management over a period of 12 weeks. They actually had slightly less weight loss than people who went to the gym, basically. Um, but there was no significant difference. So unfortunately, the evidence there isn't very supportive of primary care-led services. Um, for some people, they might be appropriate, and like I say, you can't dismiss the fact that people did achieve at least 5% weight loss. But when compared to controls, there wasn't a significant difference. Um, so again, across the UK, each GP um, does also different, different practice. Um, different programs so there's no consistency with what's being offered. So on that basis, again, couldn't really recommend a referral to them for weight management. Which leads me to referral to commercial weight management services. So what this typically means is a GP would make uh, a referral for a patient to attend services such as Weight Watchers, Slimming World and Rosemary Connolly. These are private entities available to anybody within the community. But the NHS has set up um, within some areas that they can kind of buy prescription packages for £50 for a 12-week course for the GP to refer them to those programmes. Slight difference compared to primary care services is that they're delivered by a full-time weight consultant and in these cases that's actually someone who was once overweight or obese and has lost and maintained that weight loss 
and then continues to deliver it. That is their dedicated job. The classes are readily available at different times, days, locations, and the patient chooses that to suit their convenience uh, as and when they need. So how effective is that? So we have an RCT lighting up trial, which I previously introduced, and from this I'll be showing you the data from the three commercial groups. And we also have a separate trial, uh, which is the Weight Watchers trial, slightly different in that it was conducted in Australia, Germany and UK. Uh, it was just primary care versus Weight Watchers, and instead of a 12-week programme, they were actually given 12 months of the programme. And what did we find? Fundamentally, that patients referred to commercial weight management services lost twice as much weight as those who received either primary care or standard care. Okay? And these were significant differences. The nice thing about this is that other RCTs, both in the UK and the USA, have also replicated and found similar findings. Um, not to point the finger at anyone in the audience, but a recent systematic review was conducted uh, uh, on behalf of a report for NICE, which again supports the use of commercial weight management services um, for obese adults. And basically participants lost 2.27 kilograms more than controls. Um, and just to put up, this doesn't include food replacements, forms of weight loss, it is just uh, the commercial weight management that I've discussed. So to summarise that then, we've got very high quality evidence now and an increasing number of it to show that both RCTs as well as observational data which I've been presenting here, um, demonstrating that Weight Watchers, Slimming World, etc. can be an effective way for people seeking help to lose their weight to do so. The nice thing about it is uh, that a GP can make a referral very quickly and doesn't require substantial amount of training to do so, but fundamentally can have the confidence that the treatment they're referring to is an effective treatment. As I said, it's a very quick moment. Um, we know recently that evidence shows that going to Slimming World is actually beneficial for your weight. I can refer you now for free on the NHS. That's as simple as the statement can be. Um, which obviously is quite different to motivational interviewing, for example. Really importantly is that this referral to an effective treatment can help overcome quite a few of those perceived obstacles and barriers that I identified initially. And interestingly, uh, we've got a treatment which is effective, but actually half the price of a treatment in primary care which is ineffective. And one thing that is ongoing and being looked at um, to potentially why do these programmes work compared to what others don't. But it is, uh, it's, it's thought that it um, could be because they're regular, they're group-based, so you have a lot of support from people within a very similar situation to yourself, and the sessions are greater than around 60 minutes, and that they're delivered by dedicated weight management consultants. So fundamentally, as I said, at the moment, this could be the best approach for someone seeking help to lose weight, but we should never take forget that it might not be everybody's preferred route. So just to remind you then, as I said earlier, routine treatment at the moment for smoking or problem drinking, for example, because of the evidence that we've accrued, is that part of the core is that they're expected to screen, identify, treat, and support their patients. 
Currently, there is no equivalent program of that for weight management in routine primary care practice. And the reason for that is because we don't have the evidence to be able to confidently advise our GPs. So we need more evidence of simple, practical and effective interventions that can suit a range of people. Um, but we also need to examine whether screening and opportunistic intervention have a population impact. Because the evidence I've shown, for example, for the commercial weight management programmes, remember, was for people who are going to their GP to actively seek weight rather than it being an opportunistic delivery. So just to slightly snip in there, um, ironically, that's my trial at the moment. So we are looking at the brief intervention for weight management, which is assessing the effectiveness of this brief opportunistic intervention of the GP um, delivering one of two interventions, which would either be basic advice to lose weight versus the offer of assistance, which in this case is referral to a commercial weight management service. Um, and following them up one year later. So we're looking at whether the advice, which is our control group, versus this offer of assistance to a programme that we know now to be effective um, to, to see which, which is more effective. We also do some qualitative work as to how the patients feel, how doctors feel, etc., to again try and help answer some of those questions we highlighted above. So a very quick summary then. We know that obesity is a problem and that we need to get our GPs to do something about it because currently they're not. Structured, evidence-based brief interventions can be the best use of time. We've shown that in addiction-based research. And they have the potential to not offend their patients and get GPs on board. So I've shown you today two systematic reviews that motivational interviewing, whilst effective, isn't realistic probably within reasoning practice. Unfortunately, the trials don't support in-house primary care-led services. On the flip side, it could be that referring someone to commercial weight management services is, well, we know it's an effective treatment, and that could be something that is easily um, fitted into primary care practice. There is observational data for screening for obesity, but again, we haven't got any RCTs, and we need to do more work before we can get our equivalent of their smoking guidance within weight management. Thank you very much.